origin statement on the screen. We've been going through this the past uh, three weeks. We are a multi-ethnic community of Christ followers that are committed to the word of God, accompanying, to accompanying each other in the journey of life and working towards cultivating justice and shalom, both locally and globally. And as I shared um, my own reflections on this statement, I felt like some of the words that came up included being at home as a church body, um, humility, simplicity, um, connectedness, because this statement starts off by explaining who we are. We're a multi-ethnic community that's a part of this church. Um, we are committed to the word of God. That's what holds us up as a church. And we are accompanying each other in this journey of life. We do life together. Um, I think of humility. I look around us and I think of the journey into the parking lot and how bumpy it is. <laughs> I think of the sticky door and sometimes how hard it is to open. And I think of our well-worn chairs. <laughs> sometimes I think of the heat and the cold and whatever comes into the building and our experience of that. And um, Together that sums up for me um, just a, like a, a sense, like a picture of, of One Life City Church. Um, I feel like we, in some ways, run counterculturally to maybe other churches in the area or maybe the pace of life in the world around us, which says maybe bigger is better or, or always think of the next thing or um, how, do we, how do we grow into something glorious? I don't know. Even how do we go more quickly and, and fit more in and do more with our lives? Those things are from God, but there are also ways that God is in the humble and the, the, the hubris of, of who we are as a church. And I think that this different, piece, uh, different pace doesn't mean just taking the easy way out or settling necessarily, but it means that we are sensitive to the spirit. We are um, building a certain kind of strength in a way that is not on what we can see, but what we believe. And it becomes a practice of our humanity, of belonging to one another in our community. Um, so as I think of our church, I kind of think of the Beatitudes. I think of blessed are those who pour in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so on. Our posture in this place matters. Our posture is what helps build us to who we are and how we follow Jesus. Um, I think it is powerful and it is beautiful. And we hold both this, this power and beauty that comes from humility and also like a softness and a weakness and, a, and an empathy. So um, this is a part of our church. This is a part of who we are. This is a, where One Life is headed in some ways, this vision. And um, I'm glad you are all here. <laughs> so being taken on this journey, it takes hard work. And that is especially because of the fourth piece of the vision. Um, maybe we can read that fourth piece, the last piece of the vision. It is working towards cultivating justice and shalom, both locally and globally. I felt like pieces one through three encapsulate who God has created our, our, our community to be. It kind of describes us as a people. And this piece is like sending us out. It's, it's saying this is not just for ourselves. 
it's saying, church, we exist because God is opening our eyes to see, because God has opened our hearts and our minds to compassion for others and to see people the way he sees them. For the church, for compassion for the like big C church, for even the ways that the big C church may have gone astray, and for the world, the ways that we as people, our society, our structures of power have gone horribly, terribly wrong. God has given us prophetic vision, and he showed us where, he, where his heart lies in all of that. He shepherds us to know his voice and the things that he values, to do as he does, just as his teachings draws near to his wisdom and his culture and his formation. In that, there is a call to doing life how God does life, which is cultivating justice and shalom, both locally and globally. God is the God of justice and compassion, and we see this in many places throughout the Bible, but the place that was highlighted to me this week was in the story of the flood, which was a little surprising to me. <laughs> but um, I called this next part, as I looked into the flood, um, the follow-through on the promise of the rainbow, <laughs> because I felt like God was following through, even though there was a lot of brokenness. God saw the state of the world. He saw what it looked like. And even after he did a lot of creation and there was a lot of beauty, there was very soon afterwards introduced murder and pain and suffering and a lot of brokenness. Things were really messed up. And God called it out. Um, so in Genesis 6, 5 through 6, God says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. Just to go back, one, the fact that the Lord's heart was deeply troubled was really interesting to me, because I felt like there was empathy there. There was, like, God was, like, disturbed. He, he felt for these people. He had compassion in this place. He was like, that's terrible. And I feel like we experience that now because we look around and we see this is deeply troubling. When we look at the world, when we look at the news, or when we experience um, just suffering in our own lives, our hearts are deeply troubled. But to continue on, um, I guess Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord as even his heart is troubled. And God gives specific and precise instructions to him uh, to make this ark. The flood comes, and God, God says, this is all unacceptable. He wipes it all away. But then this is what happens next. God says to Noah and to his sons, I will now establish my covenant with you and your descendants, your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all of the wild animals, those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all the life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God's heart being so heavy as it was, he said, I will never do this again to you, to your people. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes, as a parent, you might, you might say that to your child. You might say, I had to punish you, or I had to bring consequences for whatever action it was, but that will never happen again because I love you. So instead of 
um, continuing to turn on his people in anger or continuing to smite them or being an unforgiving chastiser. Um, God shows that he, his heart is broken and then he repairs. Um, he makes a relationship. This covenant is a relationship. He says, I'm going to choose to move towards you even in this brokenness and even in this, this pain. Um, even in maybe what you might say is justified punishment because there's, there's evil running rampant in the world. Um, this is the beginning of a gospel of love. And God says, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between you and every living creature. Um, a covenant for all the generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it, and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and the earth. Um, I have kind of three takeaways from the passage, which I, I have kind of mentioned already. God's heart is deeply troubled by the wickedness of the human race, and that's it's stated in the passage. Um, two, there are consequences. There, there is a loss of shalom, which is the first time I'm mentioning this word, but it's like an all-around well-being of the earth and the land and the people and the way that God created it. So a relationship with God, that has been broken. Um, and it's devastating. Um, but number three, God doesn't walk away. He walks towards. So after all of that, God says, I'm, I'm going to stick by you. It's like he, he gets on you, at, uh, on your, he stands before you with his face at eye level with your face, and he says, I'm not going to leave you. Um, we already did this once. And yeah. He, he puts himself at eye level with you and grabs your arms and says, I will, I will lock onto you. I promise you I will not leave you. I am, um, this is my word. I give you my word. Um, this promise will later be the death of, of God, but that, it's that important for God. So, um, I tested my rainbow theory. <laughs> the, I applied it to, um, Noah's own story, you know, God made this promise with him. What happens afterwards, after this promise is made, after Noah gets off the boat? Um, there's immediate evidence that God is compassionate towards him and gracious beyond all repair. Because Noah gets drunk. <laughs> he immediately, like, is sinned against by his family. There's already brokenness still in his, in his family unit. And... Um, they don't handle the situation of him getting drunk with tact. They just, God's grace still covers them. And it's unending. It's limitless upon them. It's, he keeps his promise. He doesn't wash away everyone in the flood again and start over. He already did that once. Um, yeah. 
He has deep compassion for people, though, and he, I think, is just as hurt by that act of sin against him than he was before. I, I feel that the, the, the deep disturbance that God experienced was still present, and yet because of his love, he kept his promise. The whole Old Testament is kind of strewn with that kind of a thing, with, with ugly twistedness and with God's um, grace which makes no sense, <laughs> almost is offensive if we look at it from what should happen. But um, he, holds, he holds anger better than we do. <laughs> um, when we see injustice now, especially as Christians, we, we become angry, and then we don't, we don't often know where to put that anger. We just, it just consumes. It has the potential to consume. With God's anger, it follows an arc of a rainbow, you could say. Um, and it, it follows into completion and into compassion. Because that is, I mean, if we're talking eschatologically, like end of the world here, like, like God's grace ends in reconciliation with sacrifice on his behalf. But... Um, I think that's an invitation for us, like a mini invitation. is When we feel that, that anger, when we hold all of God's um, disgust towards the injustice, do we take it to God and lay it at his feet? Do we let him make something of it? Do we let him carry it through to the ark of his promise? Um, eventually, God's anger breaks into compassion and just heartbreak. This is part of the gospel, and this is part of peacemaking and justice. I, there's a, a hard and a soft. This is why... Oh, okay. This is, yeah, this is why we engage in peacemaking. God's heart breaks at the violence, inequity, inequality, um, generational ache that provides, pervades our lives. And even things that we ourselves may be unaffected by, but that our neighbors are affected by. God is in the middle of it. He is up close and personal with it. He gets cried on, infected, cursed out, criticized. It's kind of like being a parent, I feel like. Um, but he draws a line at justice. And then he engages in the peacemaking. So in compassion that runs deep, they both must exist in the kingdom. Um... This is where we come to the cultivation of justice and shalom in our, in our community. Um, there are several places in the Bible where God taught his people how that looks in a tangible way. So what that meant for the people included Sabbath. He, he built it into how their, their day-to-day would run. And one of the ways I've heard shalom expressed is through Sabbath. Shalom is an enduring Sabbath of joy and well-being. There's a rhythm here of letting God reset what justice means every week. Instead of work defining our identity and our relationship with God or our relationship with one another or the world, God has a presence of justice and this results in Sabbath. <laughs> um, 
it's a, it, it's a practice that goes against the work demand, but also the injustice that comes from that. The, the radical practice of jubilee um, was actually very radical. God gave his people a whole year, every seven years. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> With some very specific parameters. Um, their land was to lie fallow, so they were not allowed to work the land. Debts were canceled, slaves were freed, and the land was returned or redistributed to its original holder. And the habit of doing this every seven years meant that, you know, for all the hard work that you've done or for all of the debt that you've fallen into or whatever it was, everything was level set every seven years. And this was a practice that God implemented as a kind of like countercultural thing to say, this is how my kingdom works. There's grace. There's, there's like a, a need for this regularly. Every seventh year, or every seventh cycle of these seven years, the vineyards and orchards were to be left untended. The ground breathes, but also the poor are provided for. Um, the, yeah, this is radical. And then, because this is the practice of the Israelites, because Jews were in the habit of doing this, this was built in, baked into who they were and how they followed God. Um, a sense of justice just pervaded their, um, their communities. Jesus, in Luke 4, 16-21, draws upon this. He was recently baptized. He just made it known that he's the Son of God. And he goes into a temple, and he pulls out this particular scroll, referring to the year of Jubilee in Isaiah. And he basically says, I have come to be the incarnation of the year of Jubilee. I have come to set the captives free. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to, for the prisoners and recovery for, of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, I am here to show you what Jubilee means today. Um, he's here to reset everything in a radical understanding of what flourishing for all means. And overall, this one's a note for us. There were nearly 3,000 verses on poverty and justice in the Bible. This is a piece of God's heart. It's in who Jesus is and who he identifies himself to be. It's where Jesus talks, it's what the Bible talks about, um, and it's where the Israelites lived. <laughs> um, so even God's economic systems and social systems, everything was meant to reflect his heart for, for justice. And shalom. Um, yeah. I guess as a what this means for us, um, Jesus had a vision for humanity. Um, he has a broken heart and longs to see us unified. He has a dream to watch us be mended and redeemed. Realivened in our dry bones for moving towards our enemy and stranger and sitting painfully in mutual hurt beside them. Um, for walking forward into the healing light with them.
You can go to the next one. Yeah. This means that we have to be close to him. We have to walk in step with him because he desires to disciple us towards this. This is what it also means to be a disciple. Um, not just that we preach the gospel with our words, but also with our lives. Um, not just that we go to the non-Christians, whoever those might be, um, in which we often, are, we, we often are told, but also to people that are different than us or people that have um, different lives, I guess, or also just people um, who are in need or who have different tangible needs, people who have different life experiences from us. We have to overcome a dislike for the uncomfortable and squirmy um, and recognize that even when we enter those spaces, we don't always have the answers. <laughs> um, when we do engage with the areas of need that are visible or tangible in our community or in our neighborhood or in our world, um, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's messy. Um, oftentimes it takes both shrewdness and... Um, Gentleness. There's a Bible in a Bible verse in this book called Faith Rooted Organizing, which is uh, by a Talbot professor. No, no. A Fuller professor and uh, somebody else. But she references when Jesus says we must go out into the world as shrewd as snakes and as gentle as doves. And she said that when we engage in justice, we are walking in with the shrewdness of that, of saying, this is not right. There's something prophetic that needs to happen here. But there's also a gentleness that comes from our faith and our love in Jesus Christ. And so that, I'm saying, is part of our discipleship, too. We walk in with both of those things, and God shows us how to complete, how to fulfill his promise in, um, in peacemaking. Um, yes. So... I pray that we have courage to do this in this year, knowing that it is worth it, that we will come out changed in God, and um, that God intends this for us as a people and for his relationship with all of humanity. Um, yeah. The definition of shalom, which I haven't put up, is... Yeah, on my paper? <laughs> it's here in this book. Hmm. It's not just uh, peacemaking. Uh, like, don't fight. But more a holistic well-being. It's, it's an accumulation of respect and love and justice that plays out in the person of Jesus, in the practices that God gave us as a people, and just in a holistic understanding of belonging to one another. There are so many one another's in scripture. Be at peace with one another, love one another, be devoted to one another, and the list goes on. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13, carry one another's burdens. Um, God gave us one another as belonging to one another. Um, and shalom extends into economic 
um, belonging to one another and to relational belonging to one another and even into like systemic belonging to one another. Um, and even where we do not have a vision for that or it seems far off, we have, God has a vision for that and we have God. That is what I have to say. <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I can pray for us. Oh, I have a couple of I have a couple of concrete points. There are people among us who do this work on a daily basis in various ways, and um, I think that is the beauty of having this community. So continue having conversations. Continue studying how Jesus talks about justice and how he engages in it, and um, go into places that make you uncomfortable. Go to places that um, God maybe puts on your heart and um, see where God takes you from there. So, yeah, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for, um, for standing with us. God, for seeing us and for seeing more than just us, but also um, all of us as a community, God the whole world. We know that you hold all of those things in your hand and that you weep when those who weep and you laugh with those who laugh and you can do both at the same time. So God, I just pray that as we go about our lives doing that in an imperfect way, Lord, that you continue to guide us and reconcile the hard things within us and that you allow us to enter into hard spaces together as a community knowing that you do that first, Lord. God, I thank you for um, rescuing us and um, for, for seeing us, for knowing us, for promising to us that you uh, will not leave our side, Lord. And I thank you for sitting with us. Um, so I just pray a blessing over each person here. God, I just pray um, a blessing over the hard things in their lives and the places where they feel unseen. God, and I pray for the journey that we're all on as a church. Would you just continue to anoint us to walk together and to, to learn together and to rejoice um, and also weep together. And would you just um, bring peace upon us, Lord?